The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is the episode for the 20th of February, 2014, in which we talk about women in engineering. So, Jeff, have you seen a change in the number of women engineers during your career? Oh, sure. When I got into engineering school, I think that maybe there were a, f- a couple of percent, you know, two percent, you know, one in 50. But I look at the engineering classes I teach right now, and I think that uh, I'm teaching a course in mechatronics. And last year I had maybe 10 or 15% women students, and this year maybe about the same. But I look at the I look at the hallway as I you know I move through the engineering building and and uh, the numbers are probably more like thirty or maybe forty percent I don't have exact numbers but uh, so I see I see it in the schools uh, I don't I didn't in my particular career which was industrial machinery I didn't run across a lot of women engineers in that field I must say what what about you I mean you're out there in the working world Do, have you seen a change uh, well, I've only been in the working world for about three years so. It's, uh, it's not really a long enough time to make any kind of accurate things, predictions, but I can tell you about school. I know as a whole, RIT was about seven guys to three girls when I started, mm-hmm. um, but I think the year I left or the year after, the incoming freshman class was 50-50. Uh, okay. Men and women. That wasn't just limited to engineering. That was the school as a whole, but since we were primarily, primarily a tech school, that uh, that was a big deal. Yeah. So it seems like there's a, a bit of an upshift in the number of women coming into our field, going anecdotally. Right. That leads us into our discussion for today, um, women in engineering. And our guest is uh, fellow electrical engineer Cherish Bauer-Reich. Uh, Cherish is currently working towards her Ph.D. in geophysics at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Uh, but as an EE by day, she specializes in electromagnetics, antennas, and RF systems, working as a researcher at North Dakota State University. She also runs her own website, Faraday's Cage, is where you put Schrodinger's cat. The website isn't that complicated, I promise you. We'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> show notes. And uh, somehow during all of that, she manages to find the time to homeschool her son. She also has been featured as EE Web's Engineer of the Day and has written for engineerblogs.org. So Cherish, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, delighted to talk to you. We're, uh, yeah, first time in this, person. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a circuit of the engineer blogs authors. So, how are you doing this uh, wonderful evening? Oh, not too bad. It was warm today. It was, you know, zero. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's not too bad from uh, Minister North Dakota, where you are. Yeah, yeah, it's been much colder, but yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Oh, can't complain. We uh, we reversed roles a bit, and Raleigh got hit with five inches of snow, so it's been pandemonium. <laughs> We'll put it in the show notes. The top link on Reddit right now shows how we deal with uh, the snow, and there's fire. So it's an all-around good day. Apparently <laughs> an RPG. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been a drone strike. We don't have proof. <laughs> but uh, Cherish, what got, what got you into engineering? What um, you know, what started you off? Kind of an accident, actually. I actually had absolutely no intention of going into engineering. <laughs> mm-hmm. You um, tripped and fell into an AE lab? <laughs> uh Pretty close. I actually, when I was an undergrad, I took a class from, uh, I was really interested in electromagnetics. And one of the professors in electrical engineering 
was teaching a grad level class in electromagnetic computational electromagnetics, um, which is exactly where I wanted to go. So mm-hmm. I took the class and and when I was almost done with school, my fiance at the time was still working on his PhD and we decided moving at that point wouldn't work real well. So I went and talked to this particular professor and said, Do you need a grad student? <laughs> <laughs> I work cheap. You know? <laughs> so you just jumped right in then, huh? Yeah. So I just, um, it, you know, I really, I really, really enjoyed that class. That was one of my favorite classes. And mm-hmm. uh, so I knew I wanted to do electromagnetics and that sort of thing. And I was very interested in the computational aspect. So, um, so yeah, he was, you know, and I told him up front, I have no intention of being an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, that's okay. <laughs> so, um, so I went and did my master's and. Uh, it ended up working out really well because, um, because of, uh, odd circumstances with doing my PhD, my advisor is actually down in Arizona. And so I, I moved back to Fargo and, um, am doing, working with her remotely and, uh, I needed a job part time. So, <laughs> so they took me, uh, back at my, where I'd done my master's. So, Wow. That's, that's a certain kind of cruelty to have to remote into somebody's meeting when they're down in Phoenix and it's negative 10 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention it's hard enough to get a hold of your advisor when they're in the same building as you, let alone across the country. Yeah, that, it's it's hard to get a hold of her sometimes. So on the other hand, you know, um, I, ha- I got the opportunity to go down and see her, was it last year or year before or something like that? And... I got to spend a week down there when it was cold up here. So that, that was kind of a nice, you know, opportunity to get away. So, <laughs> so, so there are advantages. It's just, I can't do that all the time. So yeah, that gets expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, uh, how do you mesh geophysics with electrical engineering or do you try and keep separate? Um, no, actually I, I kind of try to mesh them. They've, they've meshed in unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. So the real obvious way is, like I said, I was interested in electromagnetic computational electromagnetics, and it turns out that the stuff that I'm doing in in geophysics is basically computational electromagnetics too, but it includes fluid dynamics and stuff like that because I'm, you know, looking at planets or suns or things mm-hmm. like that, you know, large, very very large objects that happen to have uh, magnetic fields. Gotcha. So so that dovetails very nicely. Um, in my electrical engineering work, there hasn't been as many obvious connections, but one of the projects I'm working on is actually making sensors for egg applications. So they work in the soil. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do have a little bit of background dealing with kind of soil science stuff. So um, I'd say more than anything, it kind of facilitates communication with people who really are experts in that area. So I can, I at least... Having a background in geophysics, you know, I had to look at things like fluid dynamics and mechanical properties of materials and things like that. So I can talk to a mechanical engineer, and when they start talking about some of the things they're looking at, I understand it better than a lot of the my fellow electrical engineers. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like you kind of had that base curriculum. All engineers have to take in physics and chemistry, and you just happen to branch off into geophysics instead of electrical engineering. Yeah. And then kind of loop back again. <laughs> yeah. Now, for for the ignorant among us, how would you define geophysics? Because uh, it almost sounded like you dipped in a little bit to uh, like uh, astrophysics. Yeah, the project I'm I'm doing for my PhD is actually kind of astrophysics. It's uh, solar physics, so um, and that's kind of a 
an odd story of how I got into that. I won't get into that. <laughs> um, but uh, the geo geophysics technically is basically using coming out, you know, basically using the principles of physics to understand the Earth. So um, mm -hmm. a lot of geophysicists um, can be into like modeling or they're looking at, you know, mechanical properties of special types of rocks, um, you know, very, very high pressures or heat or things like that. And, and, and looking at the physics of those materials. So I'd probably say that they're actually in a lot of regards, they resemble mechanical engineers, you know, people who are working with materials. But then there's a lot of computational geophysicists too. So, and with your interest in fields, I mean, it, it, are you primarily interested in like core dynamics and, I guess, uh, field strength, propagation, that that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. How how do how do planets or stars generate their magnetic fields and and maintain them and those sorts of questions? So, it, it it's a little bit more complicated than an antenna. So, oh yeah. <laughs> And so I know, Cherish, that when, when you're doing your PhD work, you've, you've always got to sort of go find your, your little niche, your, your little area that you can call your own. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is that difficult in, uh, in geophysics? Um, I don't think it's any more difficult than any other field, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I'm, I'm just saying that given, you know, what I've gone through with electrical engineering, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's really all that different qualitatively anyway. It just seems to me that so many people uh, have an interest in, uh, you know, the sun and the earth, and and I didn't know whether it was an area that there were just so many models of that that it was difficult to find one that you could really call your own. I think it's more that you know, there's all these different phenomena, and you can take these different models and you can use them to examine different aspects because some models will work really well um, for one particular aspect, but you know, they kind of you know, like, like the the model I'm working with, for instance, um, it's good at using convection, whereas a lot of other models write that in as kind of an implicit thing. So, mm -hmm. um, so they don't they don't actually in their uh, computational models actually have uh, convection below a certain size or things like that. So, and so, and so, are you ever amazed that the universe works as well as it does without seeming to follow any particular one model? Yeah, actually, <laughs> it, it it really is kind of, it, it amazes me. And, you know, this is really the cool thing is that basically you use the same equations, whether you're working at, you know, the the micron or nanometer or angstrom scale, um, all the way up to, you know, the size of planets and stars and galaxies and things like that. It's it's just all the same math. So, yeah, um, it's just, I don't know, I find that really cool. <laughs> <laughs> And and do you find that there, since you've delved into both the world of, of science and engineering, do you find any major differences between scientists and engineers? Oh, yes. Oh, really? <laughs> really that different? Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. Man, you a are. podcast stumbled on something. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's publish this. It's a big, big can of worms. Um, it's very, very interesting because I I sat there one time listening to a couple colleagues talk, one of whom is a physicist and the other is an electrical engineer. And the electrical oh, engineer geez. is saying, well, you know, here's this problem. And, and the other one says, well, just to assume an ideal case. And I, I, they were almost ready to hit each other. And I just burst out laughing as soon as, assume an ideal case. It's like, no, it's not that simple. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is really funny because, you know, I am technically both now. So... 
I, I sit there and I snicker at the uh, scientists who basically kind of assume these idealized systems and, and don't really understand how hard it is to measure things and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, the engineers sit there and they throw way more obstacles in their path than they need to. And they get really focused on the details and forget to look at the big picture. And so, I don't know, it's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> that being the case, do you wish to weigh in on whether it's a result of the education that they've received or is it they have that personality when they get in interested in their field in the first place? I honestly don't know. Um, I've, I've wondered about that quite a bit. I, I really had a hard time going over to electrical engineering, um, coming from a background in physics because I was so used to, you know, I remember sitting in one class where this professor goes and he says, well, we're going to assume blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa, 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 but there's two or three other cases that you've completely just left out. And he said, well, they're trivial. And I'm like, yes, but you should at least mention them. <laughs> um, it's, it's very, um, the, the electrical engineering curriculum, in my opinion, was very, very focused on process, and, and it kind of does omit that big picture. So I kind of feel like people are kind of trained to worry about, you know, these little things in front of them and not think about how the bigger theory affects it. Um, by the same token, I think physicists, you know, they worry about the big picture, and then they kind of seem to think that the details are just uh, minutiae and don't realize how significant they can become. So... Um, so I, I think it's a combination of the way it's taught and, and the personalities that are attracted to it. Yeah. Well, we talked in the last episode about troubleshooting and uh, anyone who's tried to troubleshoot a, you know, engineering, an engineered system knows how, how important the little details are. So yes. perhaps that's why we get so focused on details. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's hard because there are some, the people who are very detail oriented and I am not one of those. I, I that's an area where I honestly do struggle. Um, the people who are very detail-oriented are great at some of the figuring out problems and some of the problem-solving, but but I notice they all tend to get focused in, and I'm like, do we really even need to look at that? Because that's kind of superfluous to what we're actually trying to accomplish. Hmm. So, <laughs> Yeah, it becomes the perfection is sort of the enemy of good enough or the enemy of done. Yeah, 80-20 rule. Yes. So. <laughs> and some people, you know, they, they, they're off on the 20% most of the time. So. <laughs> but on the other hand, they're very, very handy when you get into a problem and they know they know their stuff very well. So, Oh, yeah. There's, there's definitely a time and a place for each sort of engineer or scientist in this case. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can hand wave all you want until one day you're just stuck and then you need someone with that kind of specialized knowledge. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because it, you watch it and they drive each other nuts, but at the same time it's like boy, I better not be too ornery with this person because I really need him to help me out with this other thing. So. <laughs> yeah, today you wish they'd shut up. Tomorrow you can't get them to talk enough. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Probably depends on the urgency of the problem more than anything. True. So during your time uh, as an engineer, trying to get sort of on topic here for our podcast, not that it matters, we go oh, off on tangents all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you were going through your master's degree, did you ever join an organization like uh, Society of Women Engineers or WE? Um, no, actually, it's kind of interesting. I actually didn't know. Um, well, technically, I've been a member of WE through the IEEE which means I supposedly get a publication, and I guess I haven't read on read up very much on it. Um, there, there is a Society of Women Engineers at my university, but I guess I really never joined it. 
because I was kind of overwhelmed with doing a master's. So. Yeah, it seemed in my school, um, too, it was more focused on the undergrad than the, the grad yeah, students. Yeah, yeah. I, I currently am actually uh, involved with the Association of Women Geoscientists, but that's that seems like it's a little bit more of a professional organization like an IEEE or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Beat me to my next question was if there was similar organizations in the science area, science fields. Um, yeah, there is for the women... Uh, geoscientists. I don't recall one for physics. I, I was a member of the Society of Physics Students when I was an undergrad. In fact, I was the president of the chapter, but uh, but we didn't. There, as far as I'm aware, there aren't any women physicist groups. So, so when you were getting interested in, you know, going to school, potentially being an engineer, did you have any conversations with your women friends? You know, whether engineering was a good career choice or not. I just uh, I see the stories that say it's it's really difficult for a lot of women. They feel uh, societal pressures, cultural pressures, not to go into engineering. And I'm just wondering, you know, what your experience was with that in that regard. Well, it was kind of interesting when I was in high school. Initially, I actually wanted to be like a linguist or something. And then, you know, my family was like, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, my physics teacher at, when I was a junior in high school. Um, I started kind of getting interested in stuff, and then my mom let it slip that I actually had taken the class without taking the prerequisites for math. And at that point, because I apparently was doing very, very well in the class and better than most of the other students, <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he kind of started, I think, taking more of a mentoring tack and started giving me some materials to read. And, you know, so at that point, I kind of shifted gears and I thought, oh, I want to be a particle physicist. And, and then I went off to college and I did run into uh, a lot of a lot of uh, negativity towards women when I was first going to college. Um, and so I, I, I actually took a few years kind of away from school and explored some other things. And and then I went back to school. And when I went back, it seemed like I don't know if it was just because I went back um, at a different school. I, I went back to, at NDSU instead of where I was before. And uh I just didn't seem to know, and, and you know, and a span of a few years maybe made a difference. I'm not sure which it was, but the attitude right. was very, very different when I went back. So, by the attitude, do you mean like uh, just the general feel of the curriculum in the school, or was it like openly hostile? Initially, it felt like it was pretty openly hostile. At least some people were very openly hostile. Um, you know, I, I I don't know how many times I heard the. Uh, Women only get into this school because of affirmative action kind of comments and things like that. That really, really grates on your nerves. <laughs> That's awful. It is pretty terrible. And it was it was pretty, yeah, you heard it a lot. Um, and, and you know, and that's why I kind of wonder if it's just, you know, when it's a really competitive environment and stuff like that, I, I do think people tend to jump back to these stereotypes and things like that. Um, I didn't run into much overt sexism when I went back. Um, except from a couple of people, but they were easy to dismiss because they were in the minority and, and everybody, you know, even the guys would sit there and say, can you believe what he said? You know? <laughs> so, so when you kind of have that, you know, it's like, well, it's easy to point out, um, subtle stuff happened a little bit more. Well, it, subtle stuff happens a lot. And, and, you know, I know it's mostly unintentional. I think a lot of my blog, when I start talking about this, it's just, I know this person didn't mean to be a jerk, but you know, they really were. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of just me venting about it. Cause 
I, I don't think most people do that sort of thing intentionally. They know it's it's not a nice thing to do, and they just kind of slip into those behaviors by accident. Yeah, yeah. Or unknowingly. Sometimes it's just a common expression. Like uh, you had that one article about the IEEE uh, headline that was talking about Arduino, and it said, you know, with, with the Arduino, now even your mom can program. Just an yeah, offhanded, yeah. everyday <laughs> comment that I'm sure we've all made. But, yeah, mm-hmm. in that kind of context. Because I paged through the article because this happened uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. When I was prepping for the podcast, I was going through the article, and it's really a it, it, misleading title, and they put it that way. Um, not only does it have the sexist tone, but it had nothing to do with the article and the Arduino being easy to program with. It was about the history of it. So it's, mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense as to why they put it in there in the first place. Yeah, I think it's I, it's, it's a, just so common culturally that people kind of revert to that and don't think about it. You know, I might have even said that because my mom can't program that well, so. Yeah, I can't either. I still have to show her how to shut down the computer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my mom's not that bad. <laughs> I kid a little bit, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, it's... I, I think people do it unintentionally a lot, but, you know, it's... it. When when you see it often enough, you start... Um, I don't know, some people, maybe they just shut it out, but I guess for me, I just notice it even more, so... Mm-hmm. Having gone through the ranks, you know, undergrad, master's, PhD, do you find it's better or worse uh, as you get upper level? Because, you know, everybody assumes you've already paid your dues and kind of proved your worth. Or is it worse because it's maybe more competitive as you're competing for funding? I don't think it's any better or worse. I think it's kind of different. The way it manifests itself is different at each level. Um I, I don't, you know, and I, I think this is true of science and engineering in general. There's very few people who at some point can kind of say, okay, I've, I've proven myself. Everybody knows what I'm worth, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I, unless you're really a rock star in your area, I don't, I don't know that people say that about anybody. Um, you've constantly got to be on your toes or maybe that's just me being paranoid, you know? <laughs> no, I think there's um, some truth to that. I'll agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but I think when you, yeah, I'd say every time you start someplace new or you're starting a new degree or something like that, you're going to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I don't know. I've, I've tried to figure out if that's a little bit more difficult for women or not. I'm, I'm not really sure if it is or not because, you know, I, I, I see some guys going through this, um, but I haven't seen it every place and I haven't seen it with everyone. So it's hard to say what the factors are there. You're also not a statistically significant sample size either. You only have your own experience. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's it's kind of, yeah. It's always like, well, is it me personally, or is it because I'm a female, or you know, there's there's all these things that you're constantly wondering yeah, about. It's, it's so. not a black and white issue. Right, right. But I would hope that as you've moved into uh, further undergraduate work, at least it gets more professional. You know, everyone's an idiot when they're an undergrad. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Actually, it's kind of interesting because I've noticed it's the really young ones who have, who, who, you know, coming straight out of high school and haven't seemed to have a lot of interaction with women. And so they kind of look at you like you're some sort of, um, I I don't want to say some sort of mythical creature, you know? (laughs) Oh, it's a female (laughs) engineer. What do I do with that? You know? Um, So the basement dwellers among us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, the Star Trek people who, you know, never move out of their parents' basement, that sort of thing. Um, A lot of them end up in engineering. Speaking of stereotypes. (laughs) (laughs) I resemble that. Yeah. (laughs) I love Star Trek. I watch it with my kids all the time. Anyway, um, you know, the other, the other end of the spectrum is, 
some of the older engineers I've run into in particular have. Um, so, so as I moved out of the academic and worked more with in people who've been in industry or things like that for several years, I've noticed it more with some of those people too, again. So I, I don't know. <laughs> so do you sense any trend? Does it seem to be getting any better over time? It got better when I first started, but I'm, it almost feels to me like it's stabilized. Mm, okay. You know, um, you were talking when you started, you saying that you've seen a, a large improvement in the number of women. Um, when I was doing my, I graduated with my master's in 2008. I think there were two, maybe three other women in the grad program where I was at in electrical engineering. Okay. Um, in geology, it's a completely different story. It's, it's, there's a lot more women. Um, but in electrical engineering and physics, I just really haven't seen it. It's really never gone above that 10 to 20 percent. Hmm. And any thoughts about why that's the case? Well, I wondered about that quite a bit. And I think it has a lot to do with the mentoring on the part of faculty and things like that. Um, when I was going through physics, it was a pretty small department and I had very regular access to faculty. And there was a, very, a lot of very positive interaction with the students. Um, I had one student that I was teaching who um, basically told her, uh, as her advisor told her, that basically she had to give up her life and devote herself to studying engineering or she simply was not going to even get through the program. And she went over and switched over to math the next day. Um, <laughs> wow. That's some horrible advising. <laughs> it, it is. And that's the kind of thing that I, when I have, you know, there have been a couple women that I have talked out of switching majors because of, you know, if, if you've got a professor who's sitting there saying you can't have a life, you know, you can't have a boyfriend, you've got to study all the time. And I think they might be trying, I, I think some of these people might feel like they're doing a favor to these women by giving them that advice because, you know, they're going to have to work hard and somebody needs to tell them this. But at the same time, these girls are going, well, that's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't want to have to live like this. And, you know, for them, it's always presented as this sort of choice. So that seems like a rather arbitrary line in the sand to draw, because at least in my experience, the majority of my friends in school had long-term girlfriends while they studied engineering. Yeah. Yeah. If they could balance it. Why, why can't women balance it? Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, Cherish, I wonder too, uh, when I went through school, you know, I was not a whiz kid. I've really struggled with math. You know, there were days that I didn't think I was going to make it through the program, but I knew I had I had relatives who had, who were engineers. I knew what engineers did. I knew what engineers looked like. And I think what I'm hearing is that a lot of it has to do with just uh, some reassurance, some knowledge that when you hit those rough patches that you really can make it through. And if you don't have anybody that you can look at and say, here's somebody that looks like me or has the same sort of background as me and they made it through, I can do it too without that, uh, that encouragement and that, uh, the positive reinforcement that, that you go, I, I just give up. There's no way I can do this. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, uh, you asked me, was there anybody who, did I talk to any of my female friends before I started engineering? Right. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I, I guess I really didn't talk to too many people about it. But there were a couple of people I did, and one was somebody who was a physics professor that I'd worked with, and he said, why would you want to do that? And that was entirely the whole thing that, you know, engineers are inferior to physicists. <laughs> so, um, but, but I, 
there was actually somebody else who actually worked with engineers as a secretary, and she said exactly the same thing. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, if if this is the message that a lot of women are getting, and that's those are pretty much the only comments that I got initially, um, other than this professor who I talked to who was like, yeah, you can come and work with me, and, and I, I had a good relationship with him. So that, you know, that kind of offset those negative comments for me. But yeah, I mean, having somebody there who's positive and just lets you know that, yeah, this is just part of the process. Everybody feels that way. And and I think that that's helpful, particularly for women, because they do kind of feel like oddballs and don't feel like they belong. So, yeah. Knowing that this episode was coming up, I was thinking about this issue during the past week. And I, and I had this notion that engineering uh, as a whole seems to be focused on, well, we need to recruit more women engineers for more, more you know, diversity in the engineering uh, profession as though women were what engineering needed. And I kept thinking, well, maybe it goes the other way around. Maybe that is really we should be more focused on providing the engineering curriculum and insight to women because that would empower them so much uh, to do things that they wouldn't otherwise think about doing. Yeah. Is there some truth to that or am I just sort of off way off base? No, I, I, absolutely. I, I think... I think, you know, there's this whole concept that socialization or, you know, early socialization is kind of what sets this stuff up. You know, if, if you want a woman to go into engineering, you've got to nab her in elementary school, basically. You know, they keep right. going back to these stereotypes. Is there truth to that? You know, my, my personal experience, and granted, I graduated from high school about 20 years ago, so I don't know if this is uh, different now, but my experience was that I was definitely discouraged from taking a lot of math and science and things like that really um yeah yeah I, I i actually tried to get into some advanced math so me taking this physics class i was actually told that i was not supposed to take it and i was told not to enroll in it and the problem was is because <laughs> they also wouldn't let me take the prerequisite math classes that i needed for it so i just finally said forget it i really want to take physics and i took the physics class even without the math um right. And and so yeah, I actually had to fight tooth and nail to get into some of those classes. Um, and I know a lot of my friends would have just been like, "Well, you know, it's really not worth that kind of effort." I'm I'm kind of stupid that way. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you don't want me to do something? I'm going to take that as a challenge rather than a. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I honestly think it's that that stupid bullheadedness that got me through. But um, I don't know how many people have. You know, a lot of people in general don't have that, which. Uh, is probably better for their mental health, but <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I do think it it impacts women a lot more, and if if they encourage that a lot earlier, then I I think that would be a a big step in the right direction. Hmm. Yeah, some of it may be changing the perception too of scientists and engineers in the general culture. Um, you know, if you're talking to your high school or middle school guidance counselor, they're only going on the stereotypes that they know. Um, yes. And you wrote about this. You have, you have such a long uh, list of blog articles here that uh, there's a lot to draw from. <laughs> um, you did one uh, earlier in uh, 2013 about um, a group of seventh graders going to Fermilab. And, you know, they drew pictures of what they thought a scientist was before they went and after they went. And the, the difference between the two as you look between the drawings is, is pretty incredible when they realize that, you know, scientists aren't, you know, these, these shut-ins who spend all their time locked up in a lab, not seeing the outside world, that they're, they're actually people with interests and they live a normal life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and and I run into this, you know. Yeah, the you, the one I I remember most was uh, it was I think my dentist or something said, yeah, I saw a picture of you in the paper, and he said, and I said, oh, that must have been blah blah blah. And he said, no, I think you were wearing a lab coat, and I'm going. I don't even wear a lab coat in the lab. You know? Yeah, yeah, this is the same so, article. Yeah, and yeah, okay, okay, yeah. So yeah, I only wear goggles when I'm swimming. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. No. Problem is, I write that stuff, and sometimes I forget it. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah it, you, it's, you've written a lot, so I understand. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, it, there's just this perception that you know, if you if you're a scientist, you have to wear goggles, you have to wear a lab coat, um, you can't have a life. Um, you're, you're apparently not, not uh, very sociable. No, no, you can't. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's pervasive, and a lot of people just you know. I don't know how many times I get. Well, even uh, when I was at this show last year, I was working the booth for uh, at a trade show, and I don't know how many. You know, I do realize that there's a stereotype that if you're working a booth, you're a salesperson or something like that. But yeah, I give people my business card. It's like you're an engineer. Oh, I'm an engineer too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was all these people who were just kind of stunned. That, oh, you're an actual engineer. Yeah. No, I'm. I am. <laughs> I, I and I get that a lot. You know, just oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an engineer. Really? What's that like? Um, well, I sit in front of a computer all day. It's probably <laughs> not all that much different from most other people's jobs. You know. Not as exciting as you think, but no, no. It's better than data entry. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes my wrist doesn't think so, but yeah. <laughs> That's true, yeah. You're debugging your programs and uh, simulations. So, but yeah, I, there's definitely, and and I and it, I think this affects men too. I mean, men mm-hmm. men get this, you know, stereotype, oh, you must be a really boring person if you're an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Or, and you must not have any other interests outside of, you know, being a nerd, so you know, that's a pretty rampant stereotype. So, yeah, I think we give off that impression because I, I, at least with the people I've interact with, you know, we, we'd like to nerd out about the things that we enjoy. So it may seem like, you know, we're this nerdy engineer, but really we care about a lot of things. And when we do, we dive in real deep. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you want to learn everything you can about something. So that, that just makes you stand off a little bit from someone who's casually into, into a certain thing or hobby. Yeah, definitely. So on the subject of, you know, the kind of little idiosyncrasies we all deal with every day and people being amazed and not believing you're an engineer um, and changing the perception of engineers and scientists, do you think the organizations, you know, the more social ones like Society of Women Engineers do a, a good job at changing that? Or is, I know you haven't had a lot of interaction with them, but in your experience. Yeah. Um, I, I guess what I see, so this is just kind of a weird thing I've observed. Um the departments I've been involved in where there's been more women tend to be more social in general. And that kind of feeds back to this. Uh, it's easier to attract women to that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, the ones that are very, very male dominated don't tend to be as social. And that for some reason that's uh, makes it harder to get women involved. Um, so I think groups like a society of women engineers may not do a lot to attract women to engineering, but I think mm-hmm. they help keep them there because they provide some sort of social outlet and some sort of place where you can see other people going through the same things and talk about it and that sort of things. I think they're keeping them there. I don't know how helpful they are in attracting women, 
But I think if you have more of those organizations, more women will feel comfortable going into that area. Okay. Did you think you found your outlet, you know, the support network keeping you there? Did you find that through blogging and writing about your experiences? Yeah. You know, I guess that's kind of interesting because I was pretty, in addition, you know, homeschooling kind of actually is a little bit complicating because uh, when I'm home with my kid and I'm trying to do this sort of thing or running him around, it's kind of isolating in a sense because I don't have the opportunity to get involved in some of the social things um, that, you know, I could be like, I would really like to be much more active in like my local chapter of IEEE and and things like that. Um, So blogging is one of those things that, yeah, it really helped me. I was able to make some connections with people who were kind of in similar fields. And and there's been a couple of people who have been wonderful mentors um, that I met because of blogging. And, you know, I've been able to go and say, you know, I just need some advice. How do I deal with this situation? And because honestly, I had nobody else I could talk to, but it was somebody that I, you know, talked to a lot over the blogs and, and they were able to provide me that sort of feedback and, and, and have a much more objective perspective on the thing. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so, so the internet for me has been a great, great asset. (laughs) (laughs) And has, has there been anybody who's uh, responded negatively to your blogging? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you can you can say what's going on at work or, or in your personal life, but then there are people that are in at work in your personal life who may read the blog and take exception to what you've had to say. Yeah. Um, I've worried about that because, you know, th- this is the one advantage of somebody who's an anonymous or pseudonymous blogger is they can write about this stuff and, and not necessarily worry about it as much. Um, although at some point, a lot of them, their cover gets blown. So, right. Um, the thing I try to do is when I am writing up these little experiences I've had, I try not to make the identif- uh, information too easily identifiable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I tend to gloss over a lot of details and things like that. Mm-hmm, right. um, and I, you know, I genuinely <clears throat> like, even when somebody is doing something really stupid, I genuinely like these people as, as a person. So, I, I guess I haven't had any overt feedback of, boy, that was really hurtful that you said that or something like that. Um, not much of that. I, I find it actually comes a lot more if I'm writing about, uh, you know, schooling or education or things like that, that people seem to get really, really worked up about. So m- more negative feedback about your, uh, your opinions on life in general as opposed to, you know, day-to-day activities. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So... <laughs> Sometimes on the internet, people say inflammatory things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, no. I actually, that's one thing that does kind of irritate me, though, is that there there have been people who have said, "Well, you shouldn't post about certain things," or you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, why doesn't you know? You, who are you to get to dictate what I get to write about? <laughs> so. And, and and there has been one or two that have gotten really irritated with the the stuff that I posted about um, being a female in science, but in engineering. But were they men or women? Oh, men. Hmm. I, I hmm. have generally found that there are very few women who seem to get irritated. They all at least understand it. They may not feel like I'm dealing with it the way they would. Because, you know, by doing this, I'm inherently being very vocal about it. And a lot of people would just rather let it go. Don't or make noise. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and and I'm not good at that. <laughs> I'm not good at being quiet about that sort of thing. Um, but no, I, I haven't. It's it's always been men who have been irritated, and and it's like I said, it's not necessarily confined to that sort of topic, but that is one of the things they will talk about. So, mm-hmm. I seem to remember a bit of controversy around the time of your uh, EU web spotlight uh, on Reddit. Oh my, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We don't have to dive too much into that if you want, but I remember that being pretty ugly there for a few days. Well, you know, but I, I actually didn't think that was ugly. I, I actually thought I was very surprised at the positive response where basically people were telling this guy, you know, what is your problem? Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, it, at the time, that was a horrible picture. I hated that picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've but, taken like three good pictures in my life, so yeah, I'm right there yeah. with you. But you know, uh, and I probably talked about this a little bit on my blog. At that point, I didn't know it. I was actually really sick and was having a lot of medical problems, and and so yeah, I I just basically didn't take a picture there, a good picture there for about five years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but the the point was, you know, I was just trying to show me doing something funny in the lab and goofing around and and. But I like to have a sense of humor about the whole thing. And, and yeah, and then there's this whole argument about, well, why are all the women in engineering ugly? And and I, I that really puzzled me because most of the women that I know who are engineering are not. <laughs> um, they just don't sit there and load on makeup or anything like some of the other women that I know. Um, yeah, and as they should. I mean, if it's a casual environment, who cares? I certainly don't dress to yeah. impress at work. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm... I try to look like a professional and that's kind of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'm downright embarrassed when I see what I look like when I get home. (laughs) (laughs) I'll blame it on the harsh lighting at work. (laughs) So, yeah, but no, I I actually felt that the the whole response to that thing was very, very positive. And most of the people were just like, wow, you're really kind of being lame. And it, it, it was really nice to see that response. Yeah, Instead as, of, as fast as it reared as reared up, it got shut down pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and so, so no, I was I was actually very impressed by that. So, and that's the kind of thing I see more of that on the internet than I I see of the negative side of it. So, which I guess maybe I'm different than some people in that regard. But, but then I don't sit on Reddit very often. <laughs> it's pretty easy to make a <laughs> comment about looks instead of uh, you know arguing the finer points of. ESD with you or, you know, antenna radiation mm-hmm. patterns. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think most people know better that, you know, that's just not a cool thing to do. And they, and, and if they're an interesting person to talk to, they are, they would rather discuss the uh, technical stuff. So, yeah. Since you mentioned that you were able to reach out to other people uh, on the internet and uh, discuss some of these issues, I, I was just curious whether you were finding that other women were reaching out to you at this point since you blogged for about you know you blogged about these issues for a while. There have been a few, not not okay. a whole lot. I I get the feeling that there are, you know, you know, I can follow blog traffic and stuff like that. So I get the feeling that there are certain individuals who really read my blog regularly and stuff like that, and who have never ever commented. <laughs> right. Um. And, but I have had a few who have kind of said, yeah, you know, what do, what do you think about this? And I, you know, I'm thinking about going to grad school. What, what do you suggest? How should I get in there? That sort of thing. So, yeah, I have had a few, but it's not too many. 
So, so I don't know how much of a positive impact I've had for other female engineers or not. Right. Now, you, you in your, your current duties, you also get to, you teach courses at the university. I, from reading your blog, I, I take it. Um, I teach one class. It's an, actually um, an academic skills class that all of the students coming into the university have to take as freshmen, but I teach the ones that are specifically geared to electrical engineering freshmen. So okay, so it, it's not real high in the technical content, but this is kind of the stuff of this is what you should know to get through. So it's it's things like note taking. Um, I do go through and have them do like write up a lab notebook. I we talk about different areas in electrical engineering that they could consider for careers, things like that. So right, so I, I'm sh I'm sure you're having you're having a positive impact if if for no other reason that you are a a role model, you are an engineer that they can the students can look to and say, hey, here's a female engineer. <laughs> I definitely feel like I'm being a much more positive role model in the teaching capacity because I do have female students who come up and, and I can talk to them and kind of be a positive, encouraging person if they really need that um, and, and try to give them a little dose of realism and say, well, okay, is this really you or is it just that you're feeling frustrated with the the with the expectations or, or feeling different, you know, those sorts of things. So, Is the culture changing at, you know, you mentioned the advice given to that one undergraduate. Is the culture changing at all in uh, response to situations like that? I think academia is actually, well, I, I don't know. I, you know, this is hard for me to say because I haven't been in industry. I really haven't. Um, but the culture in academia is still, you know, you've got to work 60 to 80 hours a week to make it, at least. And uh, I think they tend to push that onto their students. And I think this is why a lot of people are going, well, why would I want to go to grad school if this is what it's going to be like? You know, I'd rather go and work a job and be done after my 40 hours or so. And, you know, I know that's not true across the board in industry that you can just work a 40-hour week and get out of there. But I think it's more true in industry than in academia. So, no, I, I, I see in in school, I still see that people are, yeah, pushing the you need to be working all the time sort of thing. That's not a very healthy um, work-life balance. So, um, Do you think any of these issues are maybe somewhat regionally um, based? You know, with living in the Midwest, you got the people behave a little differently than they do um, out on the coasts. Do you, yeah. you think that plays into any of this or um, yeah, you elaborate on that? I do a lot. Um, I think in the Midwest, well, okay, I'm just going to say this from my perspective, but this whole concept, um, I, I didn't really grow up with this concept that women need to stay home with their kids um, or choose a career sort of thing. Everybody I knew had a mom that worked and just, you know, part of being an adult is just having a job and raising kids. And that, that sort of thing um, was something that I can't, so this notion that women have to choose a path one way or the other is kind of foreign to me. Um, and I see it a lot more definitely on the people who are East and West Coast. Um, and, and, you know, they're definitely also a little bit more, you need to be working 80 hours a week kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I definitely think, it, you know, my experience is West Coast and Midwest. And in the Midwest, I see that 
there's a lot more balance there than what I saw on the West Coast. Balance in what regard? Balance that it doesn't seem odd for a woman to have to, you know, be single-minded in a pursuit of a career. Um, mm-hmm. Balance. I don't know. I, I also just never ran it. Well, I shouldn't say I never did. Um, I've actually had less people be negatively sexist. I, I don't know if, if I can explain that very well, but um, the the comments about, you know, only getting in because of affirmative action, that sort of thing. I don't right. get as many comments like that um, up here in the Midwest. I get a lot of the more ignorant comments, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's ignorant, but it's not meant to be naive yeah it's 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 naive it's not misogynist kind of thing you know um or or chauvinist overtly chauvinist um it's just kind of like people say stupid things a lot (laughs) but but you know there there isn't this well you're a woman so you must be stupid or you know that sort of thing i i just haven't run into that really overt negativism that i i did out west so um, and then it may be just be that people are thinking it and because they're, you know, from Minnesota and North Dakota, they're just too nice to say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole passive aggressive Minnesota nice thing. I don't know. I just haven't run into it quite as badly. It's the Canada seeping in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all okay. So, <laughs> but I mean, have you guys observed any of this? I'm just kind of curious, coming from a from the position of a male. Do you see other males doing this, you know, and make, making these kind of stupid little comments, and you sit there and just kind of do this little mental head head desk kind of thing, and <laughs> <laughs> or not really? It just doesn't happen. Or <laughs> I can't say I've seen any like overt displays of hostility. Um... If anything, it's probably been that unintentional, uh, you know, like comments like you've been mentioning, mm-hmm. where it wasn't, it was coming from naivete or, you know, just habit as opposed to malice. Yeah. Now, if I understand correctly, Cherish, your husband is an engineer as well. Is that right? Yep. We're both engineers. Um, Similar fields? <laughs> yeah, we actually work together. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's. It's it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Uh, we we end up a lot of times people will basically he he's um, he's older than me. He's been in industry. He's done with his PhD. Um, so and he's you know so basically we kind of work together. But he's I don't know the way we kind of like to think of it is he's much more of the uh, experimentalist and I'm a little bit more of the theoretical person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times it's like, okay, I've got this idea and I'll talk with him about it and, and I'll kind of flesh it out and then get something and then give it to him and he can kind of take it or, you know, or like a student will take it. And so we work together a lot um, because we have these very complementary interests. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that means everybody kind of assumes that, well, he's the one who's in charge. <laughs> And and they don't really kind of see it as this mutual thing that it usually is. So, um, 
on the other hand, he, he is a great person to work with. And so I just have a hard time imagining working with somebody else on that same, you know, with that same positive interaction and, and, and complementarity, I guess. I don't know. Is that a word? It sounds like it should be a word. <laughs> it is not. It is not. Okay. <laughs> it's very cromulent. Yeah. <laughs> and truthy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and so if I if so. I got the, the chronology right, you were dating him before you decided to become an engineer. You you knew at least one engineer and what, what their personality was like before you decided to go, you know, sign up for this program. And it's amazing it wasn't an impediment, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, actually, it, it, was, it was good because we we actually fight a lot about technical things. We fight a lot more about technical things than we do about personal things. <laughs> um, hmm. and, and, you know, when I talk about engineers being good at throwing obstacles in their paths, that's kind of, he's, he's always coming up with, well, you can't do it because of this, this, this. And I'm like, I think you're getting way too, you know, this one is really a superfluous complaint and you know so that sort of thing so we we have a very different perspective um i actually thought that would make me a bad engineer for a long time but it just makes me a different engineer yeah so a lot of arguing over first and second order effects uh no actually one of the things we got in this huge fight about was magnetic fields um and it turns out that uh i i've since been converted on this but we spent one night arguing almost to the death about what a B field was called. And, and so I started going through and doing all this research and we went in and talked to our advisor and, you know, we wanted him to sort this out and he was just kind of like, Oh, okay. I'm staying away from this one. Um, (laughs) Not touching that with a 10 foot pole, but it turned out that there's apparently differences in terminology between physics and electrical engineering. And so it turned out we were both right. But I actually like the way electrical engineers uh, name their fields better than physicists because I think the way physicists do it is kind of haphazard. So, <laughs> is this the old displacement field that I see occasionally? Yeah, yeah. The, the well, the um, that, I don't know if it's it's not the space displacement field. It's like the vector magnetic field or the scalar scalar uh, electric density and magnetic density and um, uh, and now I'm blanking what they are off the top of my head but you know it's like how do, how do you name e versus uh h uh, sorry b versus h and e versus d if you're looking at maxwell's equations yeah so so electrical engineers yeah they, they like to call they um harrington came up with this great way of naming all of them and they make sense and you've got your electric field density and um, your electric field intensity. And then you've got the same thing for your magnetic fields. And it's this beautiful symmetry and it makes sense in a, in a very conceptual sort of way. And you look at the physics textbooks and they say a B field is the magnetic field and the H field is just the H field. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what does that tell you? <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we d- duked it out pretty heavily over that one. <laughs> Which is pretty lame, I know, but... <laughs> No, it turned out the B field is a metaphor for doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's perhaps the most important thing, seeing as you're a, a scientist and an engineer. When you do imaginary numbers, do you do I or J? It depends on what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's only one correct answer. It's J. There is only one right answer here. 
Uh, we can stop this podcast right now. This is over. <laughs> Cut. We can't use any of this. There are two correct answers. Whatever you guys were going to say, and I don't use imaginary numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it's because all the waves in the road are real, and it means you guys screwed up. And made it all, made <laughs> there's it all waves bumpy. in the road, you've got problems. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, I've actually, I remember doing something where I was actually asked by my advisor to do something and put it into Mathematica. And I had done, there is apparently a way in Mathematica to change change it so that J has the, the imaginary number designation. Mm-hmm. And I got really stuck on this. And all my stuff was written out in J, and all the stuff I put in Mathematica was in I. And I went and talked to one of my math professors about this, and he noticed this discrepancy, and he said, I refuse to tell you how to change that in Mathematica. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it would have been... Ma- so much easier to follow my notes that I had written down with J's. So, um, yeah. but but I, I, I've almost come to blows with people over J versus I. And... <laughs> I just hate it when I'm in MATLAB doing something and and I use one and I should have used the other one or you know I, mm-hmm. I I'm using I for my counter or J or something like that and it's like oh you can't use an imaginary number now. <laughs> so I just wish people would be consistent. So. Yeah, just do it the electrical engineering way. <laughs> also known as the right way. Exactly. And so when you get the, uh, you you decide whether you want to use the I's and the J's, and uh, you get mm-hmm. done with your PhD, what do you see yourself doing five and ten years from now? Well, that depends on where I get a job, I suppose. Right. <laughs> I Ideally, I I would really like to be a professor and, and go the academic okay. route. Um, I... But the thing is, I enjoy teaching, but I don't enjoy it more than research. So I think, you know, if I had to make a choice, I would go the research route. It's just because teaching is interesting, but I found that, you know, you teach the same thing over and over and it starts to get really repetitive. Yeah. Um, so. So like research big R, going to a research one university, something like that? Yeah, one or two. Okay. I, I'm. The the biggest difference I've noticed is that, you know, at an R1, there's more facilities available and things like that that make things a little bit easier. But there is also that higher bar, and it's it, it's kind of scary to think about something like that. So, yeah, I, I, I guess the thing is, is I, I'm not one of these people who's really good at killing myself to get something done. Um, I work I work hard. <laughs> right. But I, I'm I've also learned that, you know, it's it's not worth losing your health over so i don't know if i could work as hard as i would need to to uh, go to an r1 so so i was just thinking does your background in electrical engineering would that allow you to go to apply uh for jobs with the electrical engineering faculty you know i think that's more a matter of the faculty perceptions um I'm doing research in electrical engineering. I'm leading research teams. I'm doing stuff that a professor would mm-hmm. do um, in my job. And I'm doing that in electrical engineering. So even though my PhD is in a completely different field, I'm still doing independent research in electrical engineering. So, I, I again, you know, I, I actually did have somebody tell me, well, you could never get a job in electrical engineering as an electrical engineering faculty Um PhD in geophysics, but I've had other people say that, well, there, that shouldn't be a problem. I don't see what the issue is there. You're already doing research in it. So so I think that's more a perception thing on the part of the other people. Right. So, Or just a matter of finding the right opportunity. 
Right. You know, and, and the same thing, you know, honestly, I think that's going to be something I'm going to have to figure out is maybe a physics department would be more open to me doing two different types of research, that sort of thing. Um, maybe an electrical engineering department would be, I don't know. It's going to depend on what they're looking for and whether or not I fit that particular criteria. So. Yeah. So the emphasis, the recent emphasis in STEM is that I know that there's a lot of uh, engineering programs that are opening up enrollment. They're they're working hard. They're uh, doing everything they can to bring more students into engineering. Is that happening in the other sciences, you know, like physics? I think all of them do try really hard. I don't know how successful they are. Right. <laughs> um you know, in, in particular with physics, that's a hard one because the people who go into physics tend to need to be very mathematically rigorous. And and so, um, yeah, I don't know how successful they are, I, but I do see it going on in the sciences a lot. Um, there's a lot of outreach, you know, like, like I'm involved with the, uh, like I said, the uh, Association of Women Geoscientists, you know, they do a lot of, um, so, so just about every group I've been involved in or know of does some does try to do that sort of thing well i just wondered whether it was opening up the number of uh professorships in physics you know when when you finished with your with your doctorate whether there'd be more opportunities just because of this emphasis that we're seeing on stem i don't think so um <laughs> sorry <laughs> that sort of thing no i actually as far as professor positions i see that actually going down and that's because federal funding for all this sort of stuff is going down um, there's the, the field is saturated as far as grad students go. So, the, you know, in physics, they say that one in every 10 grad grad students is going to be able to get some sort of faculty position or academic position. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, I actually, I actually see the number of professorships going down a lot. A lot of colleges are going to these models where, you know, you're not, ever on a tenure track you're on a three-year renewable contract kind of thing and that's the best you get right a lot more adjunct type stuff so so no even with the emphasis in stem i don't see that happening it's it's still getting to be a uh, very narrow window and do you think you could ever see yourself going into industry i mean at some point i'm i'm guessing that with your background in in uh, electromagnetics and antenna design and you could you could probably find a an industry job pretty quickly. It depends. It it really depends on what kind of things that they're looking for. Um, I could see myself going into industry. I would definitely prefer to go into like an R and D group type mm -hmm. thing rather than um, rather than just a straight product development type thing. I, and to be perfectly honest, I I might. I'm not trying to limit myself, but I don't think I would be very useful as far as product development type stuff. Um, I definitely t tend to like to say, well, let's try this crazy thing out here, you know, which is a very useful skill to have if you're doing research. Right. So I could see myself doing it. It would it would have to be the right kind of position. But, you know, there's definitely opportunities out there, and I've thought about it. So, <laughs> so Cherish, getting back to... Uh you know, women in engineering. How do you feel about the pinkification of everything? You know, uh, pink Legos, pink tools, things like that to uh, try and attract women to the STEM fields. I have really mixed feelings on that, actually. You know, for some girls that really works. And if you were to get them a pink microscope or a pink telescope, they'd be like, oh, yeah, this is awesome, you know. Because then they kind of see that, that, you know, they've already got this con conception that if it's pink, it's a girl thing. 
So if you give them a pink microscope, they're like, oh, girls can use microscopes. That's okay. And then they, they kind of normalize that girls use microscopes that way. Um, so I, I have, you know, I actually have a friend who's a daughter who, who has a daughter, sorry. Um, who, yeah, I mean, she's all about the pink, but she, she does like the, the scientific instruments and things like that. So for a girl like that, that's awesome. On the other hand, I don't know that I would have been a girl that was interested in that sort of thing. You know, I, I would have thought it was kind of stupid. So, um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know if. And the other thing that worries me about it is actually the effect it has on boys. Um, because, okay, you see a pink microscope, does that mean boys aren't supposed to use microscopes? You know, so I, I don't like this, this gender stratification that goes with this turning everything pink. I, I admit it probably does attract some girls, but it probably also turns some off, and, and the same goes for boys. So, Because I, I, have, I have two boys, and... I've gone through the stage with both of them. It's like, oh, that's pink. I can't have anything to do with that. <laughs> and that's almost as irritating as a girl who's obsessed with having pink, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it seems like a mixed bag. Their attentions seem good, but yeah, the execution yeah. comes off poorly. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's really going to depend on the kid receiving it and how they take it. So it, it could work for them or it could completely backfire. So. Yeah, I, th- I think I remember the one. I can't remember if it was on your blog or not. I was trying to find the article doing research, but uh, it was one about that. Who uh, the one company that made the video about women engineers? You know, coming off as sexy and oh. you know, it's, it's a girl thing, and then it turned out they were talking about makeup. Um, yeah, something in the BBC. Okay, maybe. I got the link. Well, I I know that um, the IEEE came out with these. Uh... I think it was Tech Girls or something that was called. I can't remember. Was um, this the Super Bowl ad? No, no. Well, it was uh, to the two of the Beastie Boys song. Oh, that was for Goldie Blocks. Oh yeah, they got sued over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they dropped <laughs> it in the end. Yeah, I heard about that. So, no, it was the IEEE about two years ago, three years ago was trying to do these videos of these uh, young women who were engineers doing stuff like building solar cars or things like that um and it it just it it was almost kind of like the counter to that whole conversation that we had on engineer blogs about okay why are all the female engineers ugly well you know then the these videos came out and then it's like well all of all of these female engineers had to be both bright engineers but they also had to be very good looking and dressed a certain way and that sort of thing which i think sent a different message, but it was still a, not a good one. Um, there it wasn't you too far in the other direction. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to attract women to this and, and show that women can be normal people, but it was also very superficial uh, in that regard. So I don't know. It was just like, why can't you have a whole range of women who you know just really like engineering and use them as examples rather than having to you know have more or less these models. <laughs> I don't know if I was the person in charge of those decisions. Maybe I could answer that question. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I said. I do, I honestly don't know. Maybe these sorts of things do help. I I guess I haven't seen any numbers, one way or the other, as far as how people perceive them. But it it's just I know that there, these things tend to grate on my nerves a little bit. But at the same time, I also know that there's definitely a need for for some sort of effort. Just gotta find someone who can walk the line. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'd recently seen a uh, a newspaper article that had talked about the fact that engineers do a lot that impacts human welfare, you know, in a positive way. 
but that the public in general wasn't aware of that because engineers did such a poor job of telling their story. And they, they were especially poor at telling that story to girls and women. Yes. I, you know, my perception before I started learning about some of this stuff was I always thought that basically engineering was designing PCBs <laughs> or, okay. or making bridges, you know, so, so the idea of going into engineering to me, it seemed really lame <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And right. especially when I could go into physics and I could do things like study planets and stars, which is, you know, that's always been something that has fascinated me. Um, but as I've gotten into it, the, you know, there there is a lot of engineering that's just basically making product, and and I guess I don't find that particularly appealing. But some of the projects that I'm working on do actually have what I'd say is you know something that could help society or or you know that sort of aspect, and I find that very appealing. And I think if if that got out to a lot more women, um, that they would be much more interested in it. So just because you know, I don't know if it's the socialization that there's a desire to be helpful there, but, uh, but yeah, that sort of thing could make it more appealing. Okay. Well, it looks like we've, uh, we've once again run well over the hour marks. So we should probably think about, uh, wrapping this, this episode up. Yeah. It looks like we have, haven't we? <laughs> we have. <laughs> so as a sort of a final question, since engineering is a, at least at this point is still a, a profession dominated by males. Do you have any advice for the males out there as to uh, what they should be doing to, uh, to A, encourage women to come into the engineering profession and to better treat the women that are already in the engineering profession? Yeah, actually, that's a very good thought. Um, my advice would be just basically don't assume that a female engineer would want anything different out of their career than you would sort of thing. So if, you know, if you assume, you know, I, I, I guess I, going back to the mentoring thing, I think that's a very important thing. And I think male engineers might be more reluctant to mentor younger female engineers, newer female engineers, because they might expect that they want something different out of the career or something like that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they still have the desire to be seen as uh, competent and, and basically good engineers. And they, you know, they have career goals and things like that too. So, I, I think there might be that assumption there that maybe they want something different out of it and that may not necessarily be the case. And if they had more positive reinforcement and mentoring that kind of solidified that for them, that, that would help encourage them to stay. Very good. I like it. That's good because I had to pull that one out of the top of my head. So. <laughs> <laughs> no one has to know. Okay. <laughs> That's probably good. <laughs> right. Well, Cherish, thank you very much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed being here. Thank you for inviting me. You're the first person who popped into our heads when we were talking about uh, who would be a good guest. So, <laughs> I hope in a good way. <laughs> yeah, oh, you've, lived, you've lived up to the hype. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Take it easy now. Yep, you too. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education, located on the web at bigbeacon.org. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our theme music is by Paul Stevenson.